This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that bends it like Buffett. I'm Andrew Page. With me is Scott Phillips. Good, Andrew. Good, I feel like I kind of get that, I think. Mate, it's not easy. Every week you've got to come up with something new. You do, don't you? You're doing a good job. Well, let's move on. Today on the podcast, <laughs> earnings roundup. We yes. are right in the thick of it and results are flying thick and fast. Some good, some not so good. So we'll try and talk about some of the more noteworthy companies. Nice. And we have to talk about... Poor old McGrath, from the penthouse to the basement, the company and the man behind the company in a little bit of strife. Oh, real estate penthouse. Ba- you like it? Yeah, I do. That's good. Bitcoin. Again, with Bitcoin. But it's back up above 10000 US dollars. Everything so is good. We have to talk about that. We do. And it's your turn, I think, my friend, to get on your high horse. Oh, get ready. I'm not sure what I'm going to rate about this time. Well, we'll make it up as we I go. Will, just you know just to do something different. <laughs> I, there, there, was, there was a lot of rants in my head. I just have to find one and, and draw it you out. You are not short of a rant. You've just got oh, to, says you. Just Come on. Look, like, I, I would let that go from almost anybody else except for you. <laughs> the man who has perennially got his fist raised and shouting at clouds. Uh, kettle to pot. <laughs> uh, mate, let's talk about earnings let's. season. So uh, Australian companies typically report twice per year. Mm-hmm. We've uh, got most companies, their first half of their financial year ends on December 31 and uh, we're starting to see some results. They all have to yes. report by the end of February and let's go through some of the, the, the bigger profile ones. I think we have to talk about Telstra, the Telstra, mum and dad heard stock. Of everyone virtually owns it and I say everyone yeah. because even if you don't have a share trading account or anything, you've, you've you know, you've got super, and mm. your super account will have Telstra Trust shares. Trust us, you own Telstra. You've got Telstra shares. I think it's the most widely owned stock among retail investors, too, I have to say. It is, and that is a consequence of the uh, floats. Mm. T1 back in the day, T2. T2, the, the T3 that pretty much wasn't, went to the future fund, and the government said, oh, <laughs> there it goes. It always makes me think of the Terminator movies, but that's something Just else you. entirely. If we had a T1000, mate, we're in a world of Here hurt. Here we are, really in a world of hurt. So, good old Telstra. It, this is a company that has... Um, let's say it's been struggling in recent times. <laughs> it's fair to say. It, look, it, it is a it is a very very large company, as we all know. And uh. being a large company in a mature market, it's always tough to grow. Add on top of that the fact that there is a very substantial structural change underway. Right. In the sense that they're losing their wholesale network monopoly. We, we're moving to the NBN. Never heard of it. Has uh, it been in the news at all recently? Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> and that is creating for them a very well publicised what they call an earnings hole. There's three billion dollars in money that they used to make that they will no longer make in a post-NBN world. Earnings holes are really good things, I think. Why is that? Well, because there's a hole and it's an earnings hole and they're not there and it's bad, right? It, it, so how is that a good thing? I said it's a bad thing. Oh, yes, yes. Right. Yes, it's a bad thing. <laughs> it's definitely a bad thing. All right. If you're a Telstra shareholder, yes. as we all are. And yet. And yet, um, they didn't deliver too bad a result. They did cut their dividend to 11 cents for the half. Yeah, that was well flagged. Indeed. Um, now, it didn't go down well when it was first flagged, <laughs> but it wasn't a surprise this time around. If you've got bad news, get it out early, I always say. Uh, we talked about it at the time. I think it is a very sensible move. Their dividend just was not sustainable. It is mar- far more aligned with their cash flows and uh, in terms of their uh, capital expenditure, which is a fancy way of saying how they're going to spend money mm. in the future. And and they should be because of this earnings hole. You have to make that up. And right. then Telstra's got two plans here. The first is to be a little bit more productive. 
to be a little bit more efficient. So we're going to cut some costs. We're going to we're going to run a, a tighter ship, and we're going to extract some savings. And in fact, when they reported, they've made some good progress on that front. Okay, you said two plans. Tell me, plan B is not robbing a bank. Plan B is invest like crazy <laughs> in the foundations for future growth. Right, I see. They've they've said that they're going again. We're going to it's another three billion dollar figure, but they've they've said, look, we we want to try and spend around three billion dollars in the coming years. Uh, they've spent about half of that right. now, and the lion's share of that has gone into new networks, mm. and most notably 5G. 5G is coming, people, and it promises far better speeds. And all the Gs. All of the Gs, and it's it's it sh- should, fingers crossed, hopefully provide a bit of an earnings boost and help mm. them plug that hole. So... Look, all said, all told, this is given, all finished. The, given these challenges. No more bets. Given these challenges, you've got a business that is going to really struggle to grow. Even if these investments start to pay off, it's still you know you've still you're just offsetting losses that will be made mm. elsewhere. Mm. But then you look at it as as I have, and you think, well, given that twenty two cent uh, annualized dividend, and given the franking credits. I'm actually getting more than 9% just on the income alone. So in other words, if I don't get any earnings growth and I'm just going to get my dividend each and every year, it's kind of like a bond we talked about last week. It's about four and a half times the rate you get in a bank, right? So that's it, pretty good. It's it's pretty good. So for me, Telstra is nothing, you know, it's not a sexy stock. It's not going to grow. Don't buy it if you're expecting some nice, easy capital gains, which by the way, if, if you ever know of any nice, easy capital gains, let me know. <laughs> it's no, no give, such, us a, give us a call. No such thing. But... But it is it is going to deliver, I think, if you are an income investor, particularly at these prices. What say you? I think you're pretty much right. I, I think I, w- I I recommended our members share advisor buy this long time ago, and I've thus far been wrong, <laughs> outright wrong. Yeah, I'll put um, my hand up for that too. The challenge were real. What I had hoped was that Telstra would be able to plug that earnings hole that you mentioned more quickly and more fully than they have been able to, and that still remains the risk. So if there's a downside risk here, it's that even if with that nine percent yield, even assuming it's sustainable. If earnings fall away further and you have a 10 or 20% capital loss, that's a couple of years plus worth of dividends just to be made whole again. So there's always, you've got to be a little bit careful with yield. You need to assess the capital gain potential and the total return in that conversation. But that's, yeah, to your point, that's that's the, both the, the cost and the benefit, the opportunity and the, and the risk of Telstra. I think it's attractive at the current level. I really, really, really like its mobile business. My hope was that mobile would grow faster and that the fixed line decline would be slower or at least be, uh, be basically subsumed by that mobile growth. Mm. That hasn't been the case, hence the earnings hole. Uh, probably should have seen it coming maybe in hindsight. I probably had too much optimism around that turnaround. But that said, from the current price and given the rate of growth and success of customer attraction for Telstra, they're still getting members or uh, customers on their mobile business hand over fist. They have the biggest, the best, the fastest network in the country. I don't expect they'll give up that lead. As long as they don't, Telstra should be a good investment for the next 10 years. Yeah, I agree with that. Mate, talk to me about Maya. We've touched on Maya before. Yes, we have. Um, but there's been a, a new development. <laughs> It's one of those stories that kind of keeps on giving, right? Which are either great if you love the idea and if you're sick of hearing about it, then we apologize in advance. Myra has been a real absolute car crash of a, of a company, of a stock, of a, everything, mm. uh, a strategy, a PR, you know, disaster, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Maya has been facing massive, massive challenges. They are kind of three or fourfold. The first is that it was once upon a time the everything store. Now, that's coincidentally or not coincidentally the name of the Amazon book being written more recently. Amazon now has the biggest and best depth and width of products in the world. Secondly, it was the place you went as a destination. That is now Westfield, the shopping centre, rather than Maya. The, the shopping mall has replaced the department store as the, as the destination shop. And thirdly, there are a whole lot of 
specialty stores that have opened up that do what Maya does, but better. And again, combining that with the, the idea of the mall, the Westfield idea, the shopping center. If you want fashion, there's a half a dozen fashion stores in a Westfield. If you want white goods, there's a half a dozen of those, three or four of those. If you want TVs, if you want computers, if you want books, there is everywhere else in almost every shopping mall mm. in the country that also has a, a Maya or a DJ's where you can get the same stuff, probably cheaper, mm -hmm. probably better service, probably more advice. Maya is struggling for relevance and a customer, a retail business struggling for relevance is really going to struggle to get customers through the door. That's the Maya story writ large mm -hmm. and it doesn't at this stage have any sense of being able to turn it around. Okay, so that's, um, that's we, we've talked about that. A lot. I don't think either of us are optimists when it, when it comes <laughs> to Maya. I'm on the record as being massively pessimistic. Uh, but there was a new development though. Yeah, well, see, this is... <laughs> I, I do wonder what the... So we, we've talked about Sully Lou having rattling the Maya board cage, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And and that's happening. He thinks they're doing a pretty bad job. Right. So the board basically made the current or the now past CEO, Richard Umbers, walk the plank mm -hmm. on the back of bad results. And Did in the same breath... parachute? I think I feel obliged <laughs> to ask that just because that's... I actually that's don't. I haven't, I haven't bothered, but I'm, I'm sure he probably did. He's, he's not hurting. The uh, So not only, so I want him to say, right, Umbers, your fault. You're out. Gone. Okay. In the same breath, or you maybe a half a breath guy, later, well, yeah. this is the problem. They then say, but we're still committed to the strategy. <laughs> and it's kind of like this, Myers' issue is not an execution issue. It's a strategic issue. Yeah. If they can't find a way to change... With it, so it's like, you know, the ship is sinking. We're going to fire the captain. The first mate's now the captain. And by the way, the ship is still sinking. It's, yeah. it's, oh, we're going we're gonna to stay... We're going to keep doing what we were just doing previously under yeah, the Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so I, I, for the, I, the, the board is so invested in this new so-called new Maya strategy now, I guess they feel like they have no other choice. But if you're going to go so far as to dump your CEO because the results are terrible, mm. you've got to admit the strategy is wrong. You've got to do something differently. Otherwise, the share price will remain in free fall. It's a straight-out, you know... I, I don't know for the life of me why they haven't realised this is not working, done something differently... I imagine the shareholder pressure. I imagine they cr frankly feel like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm. Maya's only so solution, only, only saving grace to my mind, is to shrink its store footprint by about half. And that means closing a whole lot of stores. That means shrinking the stores they have, trying to basically become a more concentrated, more highly efficient return per square foot space, probably fewer overall staff, maybe more per segment that they keep. Um, it, it requires radical surgery. And I get that from a corporate perspective, from a, from a, if you're a board director, the last thing you want in your reputation is I tried to, I, you know, I, I, tried, I killed my eye trying to save it. But uh, it, honestly, if this was a private business, the PE guys would be saying, we're closing half the stores, we're shrinking the rest, we're going to get down to the products we either do better or cheaper or more, or more, you know, more completely than somebody else. We have to redesign our reason for being. The board has not got that strategy. It is not happening. And short of some fluke of stroke of luck, they're not going to be able to fix the my business. And they're still just simply not doing anything about it. it. It boggles the mind. I agree. Let's talk about Insurance Australia Group, yes. IAG. Never heard of them. These, this is the country's largest insurer. Uh, it was also a very commonly held stock amongst retail investors. And why was that? it was spun off of, uh, or demutualized, I think the term is, from NRMA. Correct. So a lot of people got shares uh, just for being members, or just for being members. They should have gotten shares. They were part owners in it. And so what... what what uh, has happened there? Well, they had some results. They were really good, 24% mm -hmm. up in profit. Hurrah. What I wanted <laughs> to mention, though, so that's great, great result. Um, uh, before you do mention anything else, I, I'm, I want to talk about that a little bit, just, just in a small amount of sure, detail. Sure, sure, We'll talk about Suncorp in a minute, and, and it's appropriate there too, because insurers, as a matter of course, have very, very volatile earnings. Um, the yes. amount of 
The amount of an exposure to natural disasters is the big swing factor every single year in an insurer's profit. And you can't, you can't predict it, right? right? You, so know, you, you know it's going to happen on average, but if it's this year, next year... Correct. And so that's why I, I would just say that that 24% growth is, is attractive and fantastic and wonderful. It's also, though, pure luck, circumstance, happenstance, call it what you will. They simply didn't have a lot of payouts to make on natural disasters. It will be different next year. And if profit's down 20% next year, it equally won't be a disaster, just as this year isn't a stonking success, mm. unbridled and, and somehow fantastic. Fantastic. They're not going to get this sort of growth every year. They simply can't. They rely on nature, and this year nature was nice. You have to normalise, to use the parlance, the horrible parlance. Well, this is where it makes some sense, right? Normalising actually does make sense in this context because you do want to see the average return, like a casino business. You want to normalise that and say, let's assume the average result is X. Based on known cyclicality, what does that look like? Yeah, it's just applying some common sense and some basic mathematics to it. So right. they had a good result. You know, with the important caveat that you mentioned. Why I thought it was interesting is because we are fans of a certain Omaha-based octogenarian, <laughs> Mr. Buffet, Indeed. Uncle Warren, as we like to call him. And back in 2015, he took a bit of a nibble he did. at IAG. In he fact, did. he bought about three, almost four percent, in fact, of the company. Dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a bit of inside baseball here. Okay, I have to go on. Now, listeners can't see this, but I'm looking at our, our run sheet as, as we talk, and you have Fairdicom spelt buffet as buffet, not buffet. <laughs> now, for those who don't know, that is a sackable offense at the Motley Fool, and I am horrified as always. So I'm not going to let you get away. Even though no one in, in listener land had to know, I feel duty-bound to, well, to, to call it out. I'm changing it on our shared document as we speak because it offends me so much. I, I appreciate you pointing that out. <laughs> and let me just say that was a test, and you passed. So well done. But tell me, I can again. still be friends with you now that you, you picked that very deliberate uh, coffee that cof I intentionally did. The coffee's uh, on you. Um, so, tell, tell me about what Warren Buffett did with that. So well, well for, for starters, if I haven't learned this lesson already, it's it's a it's, it's a miracle. But I, I don't seem to have. <laughs> when he did that, I should have said eh, maybe I'll buy some as well because <laughs> it turns out shares are up about thirty five percent since he did that. He is a very smart capital allocator. Mm. He also has this very interesting what they call a quota agreement, uh, which basically means that... This is going to make good radio, I Berkshire can tell already. Berkshire Hathaway, I don't know, I'm already I'm committed to it. I'm going to go ahead. Berkshire Hathaway gets 20% of the written print, gross written premiums yes. uh, of the insurance company, and they pay out 20% of the claims. Now, why is that good? Well, for IAG, it basically means much smoother sailing. It helps mm -hmm. knock the edges off things a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, look, I think it was a very good move. It was a very good result. Buffett's done very well, and I just thought it deserved a bit of a mention. I'm going to take slight disagreement with your perspective Go there. On. And I'm going to do it because I think there's one thing that some people... Look, IG's done exceptional since the buy. I agree mm. with you. The thing was, though, don't forget, Buffett got the shares at a very, very good price as part of this quota deal. Yeah. And so to some degree, like all things Buffett does, some things you can mirror for yourself. Other times he's getting a better deal than the rest You're of us. You're saying I just can't ring up IAG and get a cracking deal? <laughs> you can. You can uh, I, I wouldn't stop you asking, mate. I don't like your chances, though. Yeah. And so, this, this look, I, I think that's the... For my mind... So he got a good deal. He's also doing this quota sharing thing. And I've got to say, I'm, I'm really, I'm really fascinated by the deal. Yeah. Because IAG is basically renting out its brand. Yeah. So in the past, IAG was an insurance company. Its job was take on risk, yeah. right? And yes, it had brands, but it was largely trying to work out how much do I charge for the insurance? How much are going to have to pay out? What's left? Yep. That was what an insurer does. Yep. IAG has changed this model now. It's about a third. So Buffett plus some other reinsurers in Europe yeah, have yeah. now own about a third of the gross written premiums yep. and the risk associated with that. Now, that leaves the question, what does IAG actually do then? What, what is it as a business? Right. And to some degree, it becomes an insurance brand. Yep. It's almost a white-labeled insurer now where it says, I'm a, I'm a retailer of insurance under yep. the NRMA brand and others. Yeah. 
but I'm not carrying a third of that risk. Someone else is doing it. A bunch it. of reinsurers out there. Right. Yeah. And so on one level, I'm kind of like, well, what are you if not an insurer? Mm. On the other hand, I think, well, if you can make, if you can charge a brand premium just, and, and basically just quarantine that brand premium, you get a retail benefit for the brand that you use. Someone else carries the risk and the profit, we should say. Yep. But you kind of you you do you do remove that volatility to your point. Now, mm. a good insurer should want that volatility because they'll make a fortune doing it. Yes. A bad insurer should never want the volatility because it's too risky for their business. They won't survive it. Mm. IAG generally has been a pretty good insurer, and I think, you know, to the extent that I, I, I'm really I, honestly I, I fall somewhere in between here. At some point, if if NRMA stops being an insurer and just becomes a brand, and you no longer can trust that. I don't know what that does to their business. On the other hand, if they do it really, really well and are able to charge a nice premium with no capital at risk because they've outsourced the capital to somebody else, mm. if you get an insurance margin, an insurance, a retail margin effectively for that business, well, good on you and good luck to you. Doesn't seem bad, does it? Exactly. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We better move on. Um, let's talk a bit about poor old McGrath. Dear, dear. So McGrath is. So from, from Meyer to Buffett to McGrath, we've oh, kind of geez, we really done the waterfront, have, haven't we? We have. So, so poor old McGrath. Many people will know him from. Is it Dragons Den? Probably. Uh, I think uh, he was on. Um, wasn't he on one of those renovation shows once? Oh yeah. I think he was on that Scotty Cam on. What's that called? Uh, people are yelling at the radio right now. I uh, the block. The block. He was on the block. I don't watch the rubbish, so I. I would oh yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, come on. <laughs> It's terrible our friends TV. At, our friends at Channel 9 do a wonderful job with the block. Ter- I'm on the record for saying it's terrible TV. Anyway. Um, That's uh, Andrew Page, P-A-G-E. <laughs> I'm still open to Channel 9 for any appearances or uh, paid work you want to offer me. I I'd like to say I have happily a higher push my brow, friend off the building uh, if I need to. Uh, like watch list, but I don't know if cartoons and Japanese manga you know, sort of count. So let's... Plus let's, computer games. Plus computer games. The boy who never grew up. So <laughs> so let's... Uh, Andrew Peter Pan Page. That could stick. Let, let's, that let's, could stick. let's do a recap here. So it's a real right. estate agent. And they listed on the stock market not that long ago for a dollar ninety a share. Not just a real estate agent, a Sydney real estate agent. Sydney real estate agent. And, and your favourite people, as I, as I, I love real estate agents. Gosh, they add value. They add so much value. I wish I could enter details into realestate.com and open doors and yeah, drive Maseratis. There you guys are pushing our listenership. My apologies again. That's Page P A G. I'm not angry at all. I'm not angry at all. Send him um, hate mail. Uh, and so anyway, it's gone from a dollar ninety a share down to forty cents a share, <laughs> and you know which I'm devastated about, of course. That is rivaling Maya for falls. I got to say, it is. It is hot. Explain to me where is <laughs> where is the competitive advantage? <laughs> the only asset that a real estate agent has mm-hmm. is a bit of brand and its people. Yeah. And they have been bleeding people, all their best agents. And I know I was a little mm. bit harsh before, but there's a lot of good agents out there. And the good ones have all left. They'll screw this for a game of soldiers. You know, there's there's nothing in this for us. They have gone mm-hmm. and the business is in all kinds of trouble. Right. $25 million first half loss. They wrote down the value of their sales division by $22 million. <laughs> On top of that, poor old McGrath has got a $16 million gambling This is John debt. McGrath, the person. John yes. McGrath, the person. Yes. $16 million gambling Allegedly. Debt. Allegedly, we should say. I don't think it's been confirmed, so I'll say allegedly. Didn't he confirmed? Didn't he come out and say he yes, said he has? But a, it's got nothing to do with my shares. He said he company. has a credit account with a bookmaker. He didn't. He didn't confirm the amount of money. So right. we should be a little bit, a little bit careful, a little bit mindful. Sure, sure. Some might say where they smoke this far. I wouldn't say P-A-G-E. that. I wouldn't say that. But some might say that. <laughs> Next week we'll have a different co-host. Uh, we got the cash balance <laughs> dwindling. What a disaster! And you know what? This is my. Point. You may set aside for bail, haven't you? This is my point to you. Yeah. Um, you're not a good lawyer, but I, I, I need to. Uh, anyway, please don't insult the lawyers. Yeah, the real estate agents aren't going to no. help you. We need we need someone on our side. So, uh, I, I, <laughs> if you, you can't stop smiling, forget, is what you're really trying to say, isn't forget it? Forget about where the property market may or may not head. 
when I look back, you've never said that before in your life. No, I'm never, no, I probably never will again. But but <laughs> forgetting the future, if we just look to the past, yes. I would say it has been a stonkingly hot market. Yep, a really good market. No one can disagree with that. That right? is absolutely true. And if you, if these guys can't make money in this market, <laughs> in the Sydney market, <laughs> what on earth is happening? I'm starting to think if we should start McGrath, paying our yes. listeners for giving you some uh, some therapy. This is, this, is, this is a weekly therapy session for you, isn't it? Speaking of dancing with the law here, we can't give personal advice, but, but. for the love of God, if you've got McGrath shares, sell those <laughs> stinking things and put it into something better. It oh, is dear, an dear. absolute dog's breakfast, and that's all I have to say on the topic. Well, I've got to say, as we record this on Friday morning, shares at another 7% to 39.5 cents. So uh, it, the, the party keeps getting worse. I, we, do, we do need to move on. I will say, for what it's worth... Um, the challenge to McGrath, results are terrible. They've bled most of their board and most of their senior management. John McGrath is reasserting control over the business. Now, you, the, yeah, history will history will write the story. Whether or not this is the resurgence of McGrath from the clutches of corporate overlords that John McGrath felt uncomfortable with or whether they were the ones keeping him on the straight and narrow as a listed company, we will, sell, we will see over time. Yeah. How that pans out, no one really can know yet. Uh, it's certainly a risky proposition. I think right now you want to see some evidence that there is something turning around in that business, something going on. There'll be plenty of times to buy in if the, if the, if the results start coming through and the business is resurgent, you'll have plenty of chance to buy back in. Holding it and hoping is probably not a great strategy right now. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Man, it's a lovely segue into our next point of conversation. Let's do it. Which is knowing when to sell. And this comes from a listener question. On a warm summer's evening. <laughs> on a train bound for nowhere. Please don't. I'm singing on podcasts. <laughs> Please don't. Really? What am I doing? So, so read out. The, do you have the question handy? Because I have we completely lost times. it on my screen. If I can't find it, I'm going to keep singing. You know, don't you? Oh, my God. Okay, so the question doesn't day. really matter. The window. The, the, the point door. is, oh my God, please stop. Took. Please stop. He began to speak. Is, is when do you say, now we've talked about it before and it's something that I think we'll do again because it's a really important thing. I think yeah. with, when it comes to investing in the market, we're all very obsessed with when do I buy, when do I buy, when do I sell is just as important. Yeah. And I think we're both on the record as sort of being very much invest for the long term. So mm -hmm. we're not, we're not, we don't, we, we are slow to buy and slower to sell as a favorite axiom of ours. Good, isn't it? Uh, you saw it from me, actually. I totally did. Yeah, well, did. you know, imitation is the best <laughs> form of flattery, my friend. Straight out theft, you might get caught uh, in the state in front of the bloke sure you, you stole it from. I'm yeah. sure you stole it somewhere I, as well. You know, I probably, I don't think I did. I consciously oh, really? remember doing it. Yeah, I think I made it up myself, but it's important. It's inevitable someone said it before I'm me. I'm Googling so. it. Um, right, right, right. Uh, and anyway, so I'll let you have it until I do that. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so uh, McGrath's a good case in point. Yeah. Here because I, I think what what human nature and a lot of the um, cognitive research shows us is yep. is that we hate to take a loss. We might have bought McGrath on the float, you know, around about a dollar ninety or whatever it was. It drops down to a dollar fifty. You think, oh, what a stinker! Well, at least I'm not going to get out yet. I'm going to wait. I don't want I don't want my shares anymore, but I'm going to wait till it gets back. Right. So we've talked about the perils of anchoring and and all of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff as well. So, without rehashing all of that, I guess the question <laughs> is. You give me your approach, and I'll I'll give you mine. But what what's the kind of thought process that you go through when yep. deciding to sell? So as you say, I, I'm I, as a general approach, I try and be slow to buy and slower to sell. That that generally infers that if I've done the work right when I'm buying and I get that bit right. Mm. I, I minimise the risk of getting the sell decision wrong. Yeah. And so to some degree, if I bought a quality business with good future at a decent price, 
chances are you want to let that run because it's probably going to look after you rather than hurting you as, well, a, as well, an average. You can, you can do that and absolutely be right and still suffer a really brutal loss in the short term. And when I Correct. say short, like in the next three years, yeah. here's yeah. a business that's going to go gangbusters over the next 10. You buy it, it goes down 30% and stays there because that's, you know, sentiment is a big influence on price in the short term. Correct. So you don't you don't want to have the market psych you out when nothing has really changed. Correct. The next thing is I look at the, the so when do I sell? The answer is when the investment thesis is broken, to use mm-hmm. some horrible jargon. Mm-hmm. Basically, when you buy a company, you say, I am buying this company because I believe over the, over the long term, they will be able to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And then as you follow that company, you're looking for evidence that they either have mm-hmm. or aren't delivering on that expectation. Yep. And we don't obsess about six monthly numbers. It's not about whether it's 10.1% or 9.5% or 11.2%. Well, it's, you say that, but for most of the industry, that's exactly right, what Right, and that's, that's the important difference, right? Yeah. So our, our job is to look through it and say, are they growing at an approximately achievable rate? Will it continue? Do the components of that growth, most importantly, I'm actually not looking for the numbers themselves. The numbers are the result, they're the output, right? Mm. So it's are the conditions, are the actions, are the strategies of the business likely to continue to deliver market beating growth? And that's what I'm absolutely outright looking for. So can Woolworths sell more groceries to more people at a high enough price mm-hmm. to justify the growth that I expect them to be able to deliver? Right. Will BHP be able to dig up enough stuff out of the ground at the right price over a long enough period of time mm-hmm. to deliver compound growth? Those kind of questions. Now, there's component parts of all that and the results are the results. That's what they're actually doing and that's a good lead. Yep. But you want to look at the specifics of the strategy and the execution, not just the headline result because often that can fluctuate around a lot. It's the it's the, it's the long-term execution and the strategy itself that determines whether or not they're on track as to what you expected them to be able to do. And it's important, before you can even make a decision to sell, it's important to, to define to your words, that investment thesis right. in advance. So IAG we talked about before. Now, if you said, I'm going to buy IAG because I think this first half profit is going to be up 24%, yep. uh, good on you, all right? Um, if you've said, I'm buying By good IAG, on you, he means, don't be so stupid. You're an idiot. Yep. If, if however, you're saying, We're offending geez, a lot I of really people am offending a lot of yeah. people. Page, um, P-A-G-E. <laughs> If, however, you've said, I'm buying, because I think this is, you know, it's, right. it's the dominant general insurer in the country. They've got a long tailwind. Uh, I know it's an insurer, so it's going to have mm-hmm. the occasional bad year. And and then the next subsequent reporting period, you see earnings drop 10%. Mm-hmm. The market freaks out a little bit, shares drop. Now, have you, has that investment thesis broken, to use your words? I, I would say no. Correct, exactly. I, I would say, in fact, that's exactly what was expected. You mm-hmm. didn't know when and by how much. Yep. But if that was always part of it and the broader business um, is 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 still in place and yep. its opportunities are in place, that is not a reason to sell. Right. And so Suncorp, for example, we didn't talk about that, but he also reported this week, it had the reverse experience of YAG. Right. Profit fell largely because there was a Victorian hailstorm, yes. which costed a squillion dollars to settle. And so it made a it made a, it had a fallen profit this year yes. on the back of a good number last year, again, because there was that natural disaster. Both good insurers, I quite like IAG more than Suncorp, but in any case, both, both decent insurers just had very... Very, very different experience based on just purely nature. And let's look at an alternate there. Let's say instead of instead of uh, a, a bad knock from Mother Nature, mm-hmm. it was that they had substantially um, lost market share. Right. That the CFO had been squirreling money in the Cayman Islands <laughs> illegally. You know, th- and that and page P A G. That is a very different story. <laughs> that that was never part of your investment thesis. That is, you know, you were wrong. No, no, don't beat yourself up. You're right, always right. going to you, more often than not, you're going to be wrong because you know what? None of us can predict the future. Right. But but, but when your expectations are demonstrably mm-hmm. proven flawed, you have to say you have to take your medicine and walk away at that point. That's right. And QB is a great example of that to throw another insurer into yeah, the mix just to yeah. kind of keep on, on topic because that was one where it was supposed to grow. It bought a lot of businesses. It was doing okay for a little while and the complexity of it kind of overwhelmed it. Mm-hmm. And so you look at it, uh, sorry, QBE and say, 
do I have this? She sure is very much a confidence game, right? So, do I have confidence that the current management team at QBE are preser- are reserving for losses appropriately? Do they have a growth strategy? Is the, is the business operationally fit? Mm-hmm. And in all three cases, it was a recommendation of ours years ago, and looked at it at the time and went, no, this is this is not a case that I feel confident the business is on track over the longer term, and so we sold it. And so that's a, a yeah. good example, a very specific example, and a good one given the conversation today of what we did sell because we simply didn't have enough confidence that the thesis was playing out the way we had expected it to. I've mentioned it before, and I will many times again. It's the importance of having an investment diary. It's just that, you know, the more I speak to so many people, and they say, <laughs> they say, oh, I bought blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, great. Why? Oh, because the price was trending up and I read something about, you know, it, it, it's, it's not it's not well enough to find. And that's not to be critical. It's, it's mm. really to encourage people to say very clearly and specifically, tell me why you think this is a good investment. And so one part of it is what you expect right. of the business. And we've talked a bit about that. The second part for me is the valuation part. So there is absolutely entirely possible mm. to do really, really badly as an investor by buying shares in a company that performs very, very strongly. And that is because everything has a price, no matter how good it is. The, the corner store up the road from your house might be generating incredible returns on investment. Mm-hmm. It might be making, it might in fact be growing its earnings by, I don't know if there's ever a corner shop in the world that has done this, but growing its earnings at 20% per year, running on a sm- oil, the smell of an oily rag. And a baggy lipless drop doesn't come cheap these days. Doing free cash flow all <laughs> over the place. Yep. Um, but if it's making $200,000 a year in net profit, it isn't a $70 billion business. Right. If you pay $70 billion, it will take you centuries, <laughs> centuries to <laughs> To recoup it, and it's just such a terrible. Event. So at some point right. between seventy billion and a dollar, there's a very, very sensible price to pay. So, so yes, you have to have a view on the business, and then you have to work out well what is a fair price to pay for them. Now that is a whole topic in and of itself. <laughs> yes, indeed, and also too, I will say that the price you pay and the thesis you have are both moving feasts. Yes. So if a business comes out yesterday with earnings that is less than you expected because yeah. of whatever reason, yeah. The thesis on, on one level is broken mm-hmm. in that, okay, I expected I, I expected this to be a growing business, grow a reasonable rate over time. It came out yesterday with a 25% fall in profit. Okay, well, I didn't expect that. If it's if it's a one-off, then maybe that's explainable. If it's some simply a matter of it's not as good a business as I thought, mm. that kind of is to some degree the thesis broken. The yes. question then though becomes, well, what price would I pay for this newly lower quality business, simply lower growth business? Mm-hmm. And there is a price for that as well. So you know, they're always a moving feast. There is this, there is this two-way dance between the, the quality assessment and the price you're being offered or prepared to pay. And at different times, as you say, quality business, but way too high a price, reasonably ordinary business, but a very, very attractive price or anywhere in between for both of those metrics. And that really, that's that's the art, if you like, of, of the science of investing, which is trying to work out where it is on those two continuums. And when they're, when they're close enough to offer you an attractive idea, then go for it. Yep. There is too much you can pay for a great business. There's, there's Frankly, you can pay too much for a terrible business, obviously, as well. You, there, you know, there are attractive prices and You can actually do thesis. well for a terrible business. If you, you do very well on a terrible business. Yeah. Correct, correct. Mate, we are massively geeking out here. Aren't we? we haven't, and and I, I, I can hear certain members of <laughs> click, the audience click, going, click. that sounds great, <laughs> but, man, that sounds like a whole bunch of work. Frankly, I don't have the interest. I don't have the time. So we did promise. We got a bit of feedback throughout the week that uh, you know if there was more to pick into we might do a bit of a PS indeed shall we do a small PS on on this after this show so for those you have absolutely taken that and you're going to run with it every week now aren't you 
<laughs> I've got so much to say. Let's give it. A, let's give it a shot. We'll let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot at a PS. Tell yeah, us what not, you think. Not as a regular feature. And we'll we will we'll come back to this one because we are we are we have hit the thirty minute mark. Hit us up at the Motley Fool AU by the way, and tell us what you think about our PS after we've recorded it, which we haven't done yet. We haven't done yet. Motley Fool Money, financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I really wanted to leave time, mate, because I know it's oh, near and dear to your heart. Isn't it, though? Is, is, is the good old high horse. <laughs> oh, one of my and unfortunately, favorites. we do not have sound effects this week, which All is right. always I die a little bit inside <laughs> when, there's, when there's not sound effects. Listeners, this is theatre of the mind. Imagine, if you will, a stallion, a racehorse Let at the starting gate at Flemington. <laughs> and imagine the jockey, the suave and... Did I mention we're running well on time? Okay. <laughs> Go for it. What are you ranting about this one? All right. Here's what I really, really find frustrating is those people who are massive about what they say they knew in the past. Hindsight bias. But I'm not going to rant about the people necessarily. I'm going to rant about the bias itself. And I'm going to try and help. I'm going to try and be helpful with my rant today, Andrew. Okay. I'm going to try and help people overcome that bias, right? I'm going to help you by ranting at you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So so here's the thing. the the every As humans, right, we remember the stuff that actually happens so we remember the predictions of those far more than the ones that don't happen. Yeah. There have been no shortage of people in the paper over the last year, let alone three and five years, predicting doom and gloom in China, or for housing, or for the stock market, or for the economy, or <laughs> for choo- right. Choo- choose your choose your your, your option. Right, mm-hmm. it is going to be terrible because dot dot dot. It gets the headlines, it gets the second pages, the third page, it gets rehashed and reheated. Yep. Everyone jumps on the bandwagon, and when it doesn't happen, no one calls those people to account because we as individuals don't think about that. Mm. Then when the one lucky guy or girl who gets it right, one out of a thousand, who finally is lucky enough to get it right, we hail them as superheroes that somehow they had this amazing foresight, this amazing vision. This was always going to happen. It was obvious in you know yeah. in advance. Yeah. It simply isn't the case. And so if you are someone who likes that, who reads the headlines, who reads the articles, doom and gloom sells. Hindsight bias is a wonderful thing if you're the person who wants to say, here, look what I said. We can come I've written an article about this. I've written articles, the economy will go well. Mm. The economy will go nowhere. The economy will do badly. Mm. That way, in three years' time, I'm going to refer back to that article, pick one of those two, three quotes and say, see, in that article, I said the economy will do well. Genius. Or the economy will do badly. Scott Nostradamus Phillips. How hard is it, right? Yeah. So anyway, that, that's and, and then it, it lends itself to investing as well because when we look back, when something goes well, we say, oh, I knew that was going to go well. That's why I picked that stock. Or we don't sell. It goes bad. And say, oh, I was worried it might go badly. I knew that would be a problem. Mm. I should have sold. Yeah. The whole idea that somehow those things that eventually happen have a higher recollection in our memories is just human nature. It is evolutionary bias, right? That leads us to making really bad, not decisions because they're already done. Mm. What it does, though, is it influences what we do in the future. Somehow that we're either geniuses or we're not. We knew what was going to happen or we didn't. So-and-so is right or so-and-so is wrong. Next time they speak, I, 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 you, you like this phrase of mine, Andrew, generals always fight the last war. Love it. And so you look back and say, I was right when I said the economy would crash. Therefore, next time I think it's going to crash, I'm going to sell everything. Yeah. We don't say, well, I thought it for five years beforehand. The share market doubled in that period of time, then fell back 20%. I would have been right to simply ignore it, which I did. Yeah. But now I've convinced myself next time I see the same things, I'm going to sell because mm. I was eventually right. One of our former colleagues who's now in a different part of our business, Joe Mega, would say, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? Mm. And I think that's the thing. If you, if you try and focus too much on being clever, on somehow justifying or explaining away both success and failure, mm. you run the very, very real risk of succumbing to hindsight bias, and that will cost you money absolutely outright. Dead set, there is nothing more certain. If you allow hindsight bias to infect your investment decisions, you will be poorer off as a result. My response is always when someone <sighs> says, I knew that was going to happen, you think, well, did you? Because if I knew something <laughs> was going to happen with 100% certainty, uh-huh. 
the financial markets being what they are, I can take a position on that view yeah, and I can right. make a ridiculous amount of money. Oh, so tell me about it. if it was as obvious as the nose on your face that company X, Y, and Z was going to drop 30%, I would have shorted the buggery no, out do, of that. Do you know what's worse, though? It, that, that's bad enough. When someone's, I knew it, but I didn't act on it. Oh, yeah. So I should have done it. So next time I'll definitely do it. Yeah. That's even worse because that's the one where you, you convince yourself that... Selectively. You know what it is? It's, I thought about it once. Mm. I considered it might be possible. Mm. I dismissed it in my mind because of other things. And that one thought is the one that sticks, not the other 15 reasons why I didn't decide on it. Yeah. But that one thing when you thought once, you know what, the market could go higher next year or the market could go lower next year. You don't have to hold it with conviction, but in mm. hindsight, it feels like a really clarion call, clear mm. view of the world yeah. that but somehow at that point you had this beautiful, brilliant, clear insight as to what was going to happen. If only I'd listened. Yeah. You ignore the fact that the other 15 times you thought it with different levels of, of certainty mm. or you were positive for half the time or, or vice versa, right? Yeah. You thought things were going to be great. You didn't buy because you weren't sure. Then they go great. So oh, I knew that was going to happen. Next time I think the market's going to grade, I'll, I'll keep buying. Yeah. And it's just this. It's it's human nature. I'm not going to blame anyone for doing it because it's, it's. By the way, in I, all of us. I do it all the time. Right. right? Exactly. So we all do. It's just it's worth pointing you, out. You, you said to yourself, "I wore this shirt last week. It's good to wear again this week." And right, that was right. pure hindsight bias. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking by my fashion decisions. We won't be taking a photo. No, please don't. <laughs> uh, mate, I think we'll wrap it up. I feel be- better now. Uh, good. Do you feel better? Oh, I think this part of this podcast is is um, trying to help the world invest better. The other part is just pure therapy. <laughs> and, Not necessarily and that It's order. a win-win scenario. <laughs> so, oh, by the way, oh. I got a tweet during the week okay. from our third listener. Okay. We, we obviously grew the listener base by 50%. Wow, two to three. Both of our mothers plus... It, well... Uh, so the guy thinks he Arnie was the third. Is listening as well, well. No, no, something we don't know, at least unless they're pretending to be someone else on Twitter. Okay. The good news would be if that was true, we'd have increased our listener count by fifty percent. I knew that was going to happen. The problem is, <laughs> uh, the problem is our mothers don't listen, so this guy's actually now our only listener. Okay. <laughs> So, well, so that's, that's the downside. So thanks for listening. We appreciate take, it. Take that as you will. Yeah. Uh, so stay tuned for after the show because we are going to pick into evaluation and all things nerdy. We're going to geek out, out massively on that. Um, but for those that do have to say goodbye, we thank you for your time. Remember, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley for Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And you should. And you should. If you like what we're doing, give us a big fat five-star rating. It One, two, three, us, four, And five. it is all about us after all. I'm sure. <laughs> it's part of our therapist said five stars makes us feel happy. It's so. all about, yes. Do, do, if, you're, if you're not doing it for you, if you won't do it for someone, do it for us. For our personal mental health. Yes. Um, Out of pure pity if you need to. That's right. Five if, stars, if, please. If you want a bit of uh, extra foolish goodness, you can go to <laughs> fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Until next week, I'm Andrew Page. And I'm Scott Phillips. Full on. Full on. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Okay, so this is a first. Well, it would be... If, if a fool talks in the forest and no one hears it, does it really happen? <laughs> That's a very good point. The fact that nobody's actually listening right now, I, I, I kind of... I wonder if we should play music or or just or sing or do something just to see if anyone's actually listening. Talk about what we're going to do on the weekend or something. <laughs> well, let's, it's one time at band camp. Let's let's assume that someone's listening. <laughs> All right, and let so in in this latest uh, uh, podcast, yes, we, someone asked the question, "When do you sell?" Yes, and it's a very big question. It's a very good question. It's a very mm-hmm. big question. We talked a little bit about sort of making sure that you had a clear investment thesis knowing to walk away when that thesis had been Oh, you want me to sing the gambler, don't you? No, no, I don't. 
And the other part of it was, please shut up, please shut up. <laughs> the other part of it was, is also to, to have a notion of what is fair in terms of, I mean, what is BHP really worth? What's a sensible, fair price to pay? Is it $5 a share? Is it $100 a share? Is it somewhere between that? And, and it, all of this makes, I think, sense when you, when you think about it. The trouble is, is that for my supposition is that for a lot of people listening, they go, well, that mm. all makes sense, but how? How? Right, right. Give me something that I can actually do beyond just nodding and you know agreeing with the general platitude. What practical steps can I take yes. to actually do this? Yes. Now, this could easily go for four I was going to say, this, this has to be shorter than the, the last... That, that, that's so our, our rule here. two podcasts. Right. I'm going to try and limit this to 10 minutes okay. if we can. So, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to start backwards this time. How do you work out value? Let's talk. We talked about Telstra yep. during during the podcast. Uh, we said this is a company that's not growing very much. Let's, for the sake of argument, assume it might grow at two percent. It's per mm -hmm. share earnings at two percent over mm -hmm. the next ten years. How do you work out what's a fair price? So here, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take half your question, and answer okay. a different question slightly, and come back to your question. So exactly, <laughs> only because I do have different approaches depending on the type of company. Yep. So when you say how do you do Telstra, that I can answer that question. Mm -hmm. I do want to be a little bit clear up front though that this is not the only way to evaluate or the only type of company we look at. So Very true. if it's a particular type of company, then that's exactly what we do, and and we'll answer the Telstra question. And look, ten other people could be doing this podcast, and they come at it a different way. So right. This is our personal correct, view. Correct. It's not the right. Route but it's also way. different if I'm looking at Telstra versus right some other view. company that I might look at. So there are yeah. different ways of looking at that information and different details as to how we might go about doing that. When it comes to the specifics of, of this particular, uh, in Telstra's case in particular, any company is only worth the value of its future cash flows. Mm -hmm. So all the money it's going to earn from now until eternity, mm -hmm. discount it back at a reasonable rate that gives you a return on your cash. Why discount it back? Because a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in 10 years or a dollar in 100 years or a dollar in 1,000 years' so? time. Because if you could bought a loaf of bread for $2.50 in 1952, you would have spent your entire week's wage on it. These days, the, the equivalent loaf of bread is worth a very, very small fraction of a wage. And so uh, price inflation over time. And frankly, the fact that if, I, if you give me a choice of having a block of chocolate today or a block of chocolate in a year's time, I'll take it today if there's no benefit. Yeah. Why wait for the hell of it? I'll but only wait if I'm getting a little bit more for it. today or two blocks of chocolate in a year, exactly. it's probably worth waiting. And that's where it comes down to discounting it back. So okay. being paid something to wait for those returns so you're otherwise I'm going to reiterate enjoying. what you've just said then. So the first thing is you're coming up with, and this is a guess yep. because you can't predict the future and yep. businesses are very, and economies are very complicated, but you're right. going to try and come up with what you might consider a reasonable conservative view of what a company may earn in the future. Right. Um, so that's step one. Step two is then discounting it back to your point how significantly do I discount it back? Do I do rate of inflation? Do I do 10%? Do I do 20%? What do I do? Yeah, I think well, it, it, it's a hard one to answer. There's no specific answer, right? So the... the the re, the, there's, a, there's an official, a, for, a formal intellectual way to do it, which is you take the risk-free rate. In other words, the rate you could get earning some money on something ten that was year, completely safe, like year a 10-year government, government bond. Mm -hmm. And you add to that an extra premium for the risk you're taking. So I want to be paid something for taking the extra risk. So I get the risk-free rate plus something that pays for my risk. Okay. The other way to do it is to simply say, what return do I want? What do I think the market will return over right, time? Right. And if I'm not going to beat the market, I might as well buy the market, mm -hmm. buy a cheap index fund. Mm -hmm. So if I want to beat the market, I have to add the market, the market rate plus something to make it worth my while trying to pick stocks. Okay. So you can choose a combination of both of those. I normally end up about 10 or 11% mm -hmm. um, as, as an expectation. I want to return, I want to get that sort of return from my investments. If I don't, yep. I'll just buy the index and be done with it. Yeah, right. I, okay, I, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. So how far out do you go? Here's the thing. An equity, a share, yes. is uh, an in-perpetuity type investment. In theory, correct. In other words, like bonds expire. Mm -hmm. Term deposits expire. Yep. 
a share in theory goes on forever. Yeah. So so someone sitting at home might be going, well, that's great, Scott. So you're telling me I have to forecast earnings out for the next million years. I mean, how yep. how do I know what BHP is earning in the year 2072, let alone the year 2172? Is it even around at that point? How do you how do you wrap your head around that intellectual thorn? I think that's the. I, I, this is the problem with trying to give any sort of specific detailed answers, right? There is especially there is, verbally, right? Right. Well, but there's no specific way to do it. There's no there's no one way depending on any circumstance. So I guess I don't know how to start answering the question. I think it's very much a case of where's the opportunity, how much you're prepared to pay for that opportunity, yes. and what are the what are the, what are the considerations, the risks, the opportunities, and the, the variability of that potential return as well. Nothing yeah. is certain, so you have to allow yourself a, a decent margin of error. I'd say this. I'd say for those that are serious on this, and look, you know, this, if this sounds like a bunch of work, you're right, it is. <laughs> it is a bunch it is, of work. It it money's just not lying around to be picked up. But, you, know, <laughs> right, you, right. you have to work and you have to think hard for it. And by I the way, the market's actually, already got a few, right? So you actually, yeah. by definition, you have to also disagree with the market and believe the market is wrong before you buy or sell. I find it a really rewarding intellectually challenging um sort of experience so mm. it's not for everyone but if it is I, i'd really encourage you to look into it and, and look there's this wonderful um oracle called google and, and you know <laughs> entering, ask google ask google ask how much google, should i pay for Woolworths? do yet? some research on <laughs> discounted cash flow it, yeah. it's a wonderful theory to sort of get in not because you, the, the trouble with all of this is you get into this false precision yeah where you know you start playing around in a spreadsheet, you'll come up with a bunch of numbers, and you know BHP will be worth twenty two dollars and seventy three point four seven eight nine cents. <laughs> you know, but it is so ridiculously precise on something that cannot ever be precise. You know so what's funny too is researchers have proven that the more information you have, the more certain you are of the result, and the less likely you are to actually be right. So where I see the value in that is it's it's a tool to use to help you think through what needs to happen to put some numbers around it. And what I'm going to do because we can't go into discounted cash flow in these 10 minutes that we've got, which we're probably already out of, I want to, I want to leave listeners with a very easy rule of thumb as a, as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And this typically works better for more mature companies, mm-hmm. but there's, a, there's this thing called the Gordon growth model. And I think it's a really nice rule of thumb. And, and there's, there's multiple ways of expressing it, but the most simplest is this, is to say that your total average annual return for an investment roughly is going to equal today's dividend yield plus the rate of per share growth. So I'm going to come back to Telstra. Telstra, we know, is yielding without Frank, we'll ignore franking credits, mm-hmm. so is, is, is yielding about, uh, what, 7%? Give or take, yeah. About 7%. Um, if I want a 10% mm-hmm. return total, mm-hmm. well, I, I, I'm going to need this company to grow by about 3% per annum. Right. So working backwards, I can come to this idea of, is Telstra a good value at a 7% yield? Well, it is if I feel as though the business can grow at about 3% or more. And that, that helps frame it all for you wonderfully. Now, let's let, let's go back. Very, well, I'll tie this up because I know people are waiting to use the studio. We're getting some very and awful yet, glares. You keep talking. My studio! <laughs> Is 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 that if, if come the police? Let's say that a, co- a company is yielding three percent, yep. and let's feel as, as say that you think well, that's a pretty mature company. They're going to get about GDP growth. Maybe they'll do a bit better. Maybe they. I would put Woolies in this camp. Frankly, I, I think they're going to do well if they get more than two or three percent. Frankly, right. I don't think they'll get more than that. So if I can add the current yield to that growth expectation, and I come up with a number of seven percent, mm-hmm. does that mean I should buy it? Well, if you're happy with seven percent. That's a really good way to start. If you want more, and mm-hmm. you've made the point that the market average is usually around 10%, Correct. it might help you determine that that's a little bit overpriced. So that's all a very long way of saying very easily as a nice starting point, take the yield, add the average growth rate to it, and that'll help you work out roughly 
if something is fair value. I'm going to put one quick caveat on that. That okay. works very, very well for low growth businesses. It starts to break down very quickly once the growth rate gets up. It does. And, and especially because you can have periods of very high growth that then settle down as well. So you Correct. get into all of those wrinkles. But as the rule of thumb, I That's think a it's start. a really good place to start. Nice. Well, let us know what you thought of that PS. <laughs> if you're still listening. If you're still listening, because if, if you ever do want a bit of extra detail, we, we'll, we're happy to do this. They're but about to bash through the door with a battering ram. We better go, mate. We better go. Until next week. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.